Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers, using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like School districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice? curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Hi, Abby. Huh? Yay. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Happy to be here. This is going to be fun. So this is quite possibly my first podcast episode with two guests. Me and my little one, my three and a half <laughs> month old daughter. <laughs> I don't actually, I think I have had a couple with two guests, but I am really excited to welcome you and a little bit to the podcast. And like I said before we hit record, our brand here is perfectly imperfect. So if we get some feedback from your little para educator in the background, then we will. I don't know if you know this, Debbie, but I got my master's in education when I was three and a half months old because I went with my mom. Oh my gosh. That's amazing that they were you were allowed to go. Well, I think my mom is typically a beg for forgiveness, don't ask for permission kind of a person. We don't know if I was allowed to go, but this is really crazy. I always knew that I got my master's of education and at three months old with my with this lady named Sue. And then fast forward several years later, I had a baby with Down syndrome and I met this guy named Teddy Kramer who had a really cool experience with the Cincinnati Reds and now works for the Reds and he does like inspirational, motivational speaking. And Teddy and I became friends and I became friends with his parents and whatnot. And at one point, I met Teddy's Aunt Sue and she said, oh, your maiden name is Meyer and you're from Fort Thomas. Do you know Caroline? And it turns out Teddy Kramer's Aunt Sue drove me and my mom to our master's classes because my mom couldn't drive because she had just had a baby. Oh my gosh, what a small world. I know, and in the small world, that's not what we're talking about today, but that's what happens here on the podcast. I love it, I love it. We didn't even plan to introduce the baby and it just happened, so... (laughs) There you go. Well, let's let's start off by doing an introduction to you. So why don't you tell my audience a little bit about you, the work that you do, why you're passionate about special education. Give us the details. Yeah. Hi. So I'm Abby Moringer. I am the owner of Mrs. Moe's Modifications. It is an online uh, platform that I love to support specifically special ed teachers, but really all teachers. Uh, because I just have such a passion for behavior. I am a special ed teacher. I uh, taught in the classroom for I was 11 or 12 years. And the last couple of years, I have been a behavior specialist in my district. And about my third or fourth year teaching, I had what I would say the world's toughest class. It was so hard. It was full inclusion. So I was all day with my um, co-teacher also with a couple of paraprofessionals. And we had, you know, kids with really involved autism. We had a lot of trauma and the behaviors were something like I've never seen. And even though I have my master's, I was like, oh my gosh, I am not prepared for this. Yeah. So I ended up going back to school. So I was like, there has to be something out there. This is, you know, we're in the 2000s. I'm like, we have to know more about behavior. So I ended up going back to get my board certification. I'm, an, I'm a BCBA. And I use that to uh, really influence 
you know, a lot of what I do to recommend strategies that are actually research-based instead of just, you know, hoping for the best or, you know, people seeing something on TikTok and thinking it works. So I'm really passionate about it. There's actually, I thought this statistic was really interesting. There is a 60-year knowledge gap between the research that happens with behavior and the practice in the classroom, which makes sense for teachers. We're so busy. I mean, who will have time to read research or wants to? I mean, me, but I think I'm not the norm. <laughs> and so there's this huge disconnect. And my I current just... stack of research right here. It's about right now, it's only about a centimeter thick. But every time I get, I've got like six tabs open on my computer too. You know, like later. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like there's no yeah. time. And then when you read the research, there's so much jargon and to actually put in the classroom and make it cutesy. It's super hard. So I'm just really passionate about that. You know, I'm really passionate about inclusion. So getting kids, you know, fully included, not just like the bumper sticker for inclusion, you know, so that is also something that I'm very, very passionate about. Yeah, that's so, so important and so good. And, you know, I say all the time, I think there's two big impediments to inclusive education, reading and behavior and behavior and I I agree with you entirely that you know so many times the problem is that districts either try so much and they don't try anything with consistency uh, or they don't try anything at all because they lack empathy for the child and they don't necessarily they care like in they care they care deeply but like actually caring and empathizing with the child is so so important to behavior and I sometimes don't see I oftentimes don't see that but they also don't make decisions based on data. And that's why I think it's so important to bring in NBC because that's what you all are trained to do. And it's like mm-hmm. behavior is so logical if you can get to the function and really analyze the data. Yeah, yes, I totally agree. And I think sometimes, you know, even when I was younger and going through college, I had this idea of what teachers are. And when I was younger, there weren't these, huge behaviors and if there were there were few and far between and so I think there's this idea of what teaching should be and what we are responsible for and now you know we are more responsible for these behaviors and I think people have have different opinions about what they should be responsible for so that can make it challenging as well that's a good point you know when we were in school the kids that exhibited challenging behaviors or or problematic behaviors and certainly dangerous behaviors were not educated in their home districts, much mm-hmm. less home schools. But the research shows that it benefits the entire school community, that student, the other students, the community, the, admit, the, the, the whole community so much more. So it makes sense. But you're right. I mean, teachers now need the skills and strategies to do that. And we also need to do a better job at teaching the skills and strategies Mm -hmm. to the students. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really, really good point. So we're going to talk in a little bit about the presentation that you're going to give at our special education and advocacy conference. But in the meantime, I thought it would be kind of cool to talk a little bit about trauma because mm-hmm. something that I've seen come up a lot in classrooms recently is trauma-informed care and how trauma impacts children. Strangely, I started reading a lot about trauma-informed care and the effect of adverse childhood experiences after going to a presentation for a local Rotary Club. 
I literally was invited by the executive director of a Down Syndrome Association, kind of as his special guest. And I was like, sure, I'd love to come. Uh, and the speaker happened to be talking about that. And I was like, what a fascinating body of research. And I, I'm, I um, experienced trauma when I was 15. My wave runner exploded and I broke my back. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, I have PT, like chronic PTSD, actually. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it, it hits home to me. And a lot of it's like really understandable to me because I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But anyway, like maybe you could could you give us uh, from a behavior standpoint, like trauma 101. Yeah. So I really think so. I am a trainer in therapeutic crisis intervention in school. So it is put on by Cornell and I am trained to teach it in my district. And it's really has made such a difference in practitioners or teachers in my district. And to see a group of people trained in trauma-informed care, as opposed to just, you know, one isolated person is a huge difference in just the field of the classroom. So my practice and what I do is I take, you know, the behavior part of it and the trauma-informed part and kind of weave them together. I think a lot of it is creating, if you create a trauma-informed classroom, you're going to have less behaviors that are going to cause you to need these really specific behavior plans, right? And it's going to help all kids, not just those that have experienced trauma. And I think it's important, you know, when you're talking about trauma to really realize that it completely changes the way the brain functions. You know, trauma changes the way we think, feel, and behave, and it literally changes the neural pathways, which is so interesting to me. <clears throat> I find studies on the brain so interesting. I started getting into the brain with my literacy, and it's crazy when you teach yeah. the reading a certain way, your brain literally changes. And same thing with trauma. When you have trauma, your brain function changes. And I think it's so hard to, I call it like an invisible disability when you have experienced a trauma and you're having yeah. these trauma-based responses because like you said, it's kind of hard for some teachers to have that empathy because they might present as a typical kid. And a lot of these kids with trauma, you know, their academics are fine, at least with the younger years. It's, you know, as they get older, it might be impacted, but they don't qualify for special education services because they don't have that deficit yet. So that's really hard. And it's also hard if you are a gen ed teacher, and I've seen this time and time again, and you have a kid that's tipping over tables, that's hitting you, and you are in there by yourself, and your job is to keep everyone safe. That is so stressful. It's so stressful for the kids too. And to not have tools to just pull from is scary, you know, and I yeah. can definitely empathize with that. Yeah. And I think like what I saw when I was in the classroom and what I see in a lot of my clients is that so many, so many kids that have experienced trauma, there's two main problems. The one is it doesn't make sense for them to go from zero to 60 in 1.5 seconds. Like the smallest little trigger that, that didn't bother them yesterday bothered them now. I literally just got a text message from my mom. She doesn't listen. Hi, mom. Um, and I, and I texted my husband and I was like, oh, like it was actually about mental health, which is funny. It was like a joke about mental health. And I'm like, we don't joke about mental health, but today mm -hmm. it just really hit me hard. Yesterday, it probably wouldn't have. Yeah. And so I think that like, where did that come from is weird. Mm -hmm. But as you said, those are the neuropathways. I still, I got hurt 
30 years ago, 1993. So 30 years ago. And I still have a day entirely ruined if I get scared. Mm-hmm. Entirely ruined. Like I am shot at six o'clock. Please don't ask me to do two things at once. Don't talk to me while I'm making dinner. Don't challenge me with mom. I didn't like the lunch that you made for me. Nothing. I can't take any complaints. No stress. I can barely mm-hmm. get the mail because somebody knocked on my window and I wasn't expecting it. You know, whatever. I can't play hide mm-hmm. and seek. I don't mm-hmm. like to be scared which doesn't make sense. Like, look at me. I'm a lawyer with a big smile and two successful kids. And that doesn't make any sense. Like, how can you not function playing hide and seek? But I think the other thing is, excuse me, the context of schools right now. Teachers are understandably so Mm -hmm. freaked out by keeping kids safe that they're afraid by those trauma responses. And it's and it's mm-hmm. really hard to justify it, to use the patience and the understanding that it takes to implement trauma-informed care while also thinking in the back of your head, teachers are hospitalized all the time by getting for getting assaulted by kids or mm-hmm. much worse things, right? And so like mm-hmm. when you're training teachers, how do you how do you interact with them and give them that assurance? Like, is there a mm-hmm. secret to that? I will say I am so fortunate. So I'm in upstate New York and um, we, in all of our schools for years, we've had full-time um, counselors and psychologists and our school has really listened first off to get this PCIS in there and then to um, get it, everyone trained. Um, and they've really been listening. So they just added social workers. So I think in yeah. my district, you know, those people, those mental health professionals aren't there just for the kids, really. They are also there for a lot of the adults. And sometimes I'm dispatched, you know, and my job is just to, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, you need some time away from the student. Totally understandable. I'm going to work with them all day. I'm going to take it on and it's going to be, it's going to be okay, you know. And sometimes I just go in and I uh, support for the teachers and building up their confidence as well as the skills because it's daunting. If you are afraid of a behavior, a kid's going to feel that. I remember that really tough class I was talking about. I had a student only in first grade, but he was so strong and very violent. And he had choked me several times. And I remember one time he like made like a just like a physical gesture towards me. And I like kind of got scared and I jumped back and he realized that and kind of like kept doing it. And I realized that like I was fortunate enough, you know, to be able to get the training that I needed. I had really supportive, um, I think it was my boyfriend at the time, boyfriend at home that was like really able to help me decompress after this. But I think about people who, you know, may struggle with their own mental health, might have their own trauma that they haven't processed. Um, and then to have to live that at your job is really hard. And even thinking about you and your trauma, you know, you are able to verbalize, like, don't come talk to me about um, anything with lunch because I'm overwhelmed. I think about kids, you know, something might have overwhelmed them and then they're just acting out and you're like, but I just asked you to put your name on your paper. Why can't you do that for me? You know, mm-hmm. and why are you ripping it up? It doesn't make any sense They're They have to do this. You know, this is what it's expected. And it's like, well, we're lucky they're even here right now. You know, we're lucky that they got to school and it's just, you know, it's hard to see that those little wins can be wins. In my district, I 
I can't even say how fortunate I am. We also have a tier one social emotional learning curriculum, which is huge. You know, obviously that really ties in closely to mental health. You know, when you can do provide things at tier one, you can help support more kids. And I think about that type all of thing. All like, of the kids. All <laughs> the kids. Yeah. Yeah. So they all understand. I, I have struggled with anxiety forever. And I remember feeling pains in my chest growing up and thinking, oh, that means I just have to work harder um, because I have X, Y, and Z to do. And when I got older, I had some pretty significant things happen in my own life. And I went to the doctors and I'm like, I'm, I don't know if I'm having a heart attack. I know I've had this my whole life. They're like, Abby, those are panic attacks. You've been living with this your whole life. I'm like, I didn't know, you know? You too. And so my I've been teachers- for three MRIs for that reason. Yeah, oh, sure. Uh, uh, not MRI. What do you call them when you go uh, EKGs for that reason? Now I just checked my watch and it turns out COVID did something to my heart. So the last one they were like, yeah, you need to go to a cardiologist. <laughs> oh my gosh. So like, that was, and then it was, and then it was even worse. Cause, and I said to them like, listen, you're going to have to really treat me with care because I'm the kind of person that has been for EKGs because I thought I was having a heart attack and it's really panic. And so, like, you're going to have to give me assurance that this is not going to kill me, like, instantaneously, you know. And they were great. Like, the ultrasound of my carotids and all that stuff. And they did all this blood work and, like, other tests to tell me, you are cardio-healthy. You just have this valve thing. Uh, Because I I was, like, anxiety and now a physical thing is going to. Yeah, it's, it's, and I think that's a very good example because it's layers and layers and layers of supports. It's the children and the adults that are implementing the plan and the people that are supporting the adults and the kids. And yeah, I mean, it's complicated. And I wonder if I had learned strategies as a young child to deal with my anxiety, how it would have affected me as an adult. You know, I didn't learn some of the strategies that I now have until I started therapy like five years ago. And I'm like, oh, what if I had learned some of these really basic strategies that now we're teaching way back when, you know, just like reading. So I do yeah. think about that a lot. I do too. Actually, I just this weekend started a conversation with my family and I said, you have to understand I've got trauma around this topic. And it's because my mom and dad didn't know to help me. So this is going to be hard for me to talk about. Um, and we're all going to have to be really gentle with me as we kind of go through this. Uh, and I do think that, think about that a lot. I think, you know, our parents thought that therapy was going to like be something else that we had to do and that that might itself stress us out when we realize that's mm-hmm. a way efficient means to our day-to-day health. So yeah, it is, it's, it, it is, it's, a journey and everybody's journey is different. For sure. And I think another thing in this, I'm like so big on communication. Tell your teams what's going on. If your family is going through a relationship, you know, the parents have separated, a grandparent is sick, a sibling has gone to college, those things. Make sure you articulate that because especially Mm -hmm. a lot of kids with IEPs aren't able to do that or Mm -hmm. don't even think like they don't realize that that's affecting them. And so they don't think to share that news. But so many things that cause trauma in kids are things that you aren't just going to disclose like, hey, we run a meth lab in our basement and and we like occasionally beat our kids when they are too loud. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like if that's something yeah. that you share. And it, and I think that like people sometimes, what I hear too is a few things. Like one, you might not be able to ever know what the trauma incident was, or maybe there's legal things around it. Maybe they didn't disclose it. So, you know, having some of those behaviors, people be like, oh, if I knew that there was trauma, I would have been more empathetic. So it's kind of like, just assume that there's some of there are these big behaviors. I truly believe Ross, Dr. Ross Green, if kids could do well, they would. So if they're having these huge behaviors that don't match up, you know, they're really explosive. They probably have some type of trauma in their life. And even if it's not something like physical, you know, people are like, oh, well, that's not really trauma. You know, people think that, you know, it's not, it's how you experience it yourself. You and I could witness the same event and you could have, it affects you totally different than it affects me because of things that have happened in your life that haven't happened in mine. So I think that all that's important to keep in mind too. You know, if there's these big, huge, explosive behaviors, there might be a trauma piece to that and you might not know about it. Yeah. And the kid might not know about it either, which is really, which is really hard. Yeah. Okay. So, so good. I mean, we could talk forever about that. Let's do a little preview because you are going to be joining a speaker for the fourth annual special education and advocacy conference and this is new this year i don't know if you know that we haven't ever done this but we're running a teacher track and we're running a parent track and the reason why we're doing that is because i'm such a big proponent of collaboration and really effective communication on all sides of the iep table and obviously beyond the iep table itself throughout the school year um And so I wanted to facilitate a training that would help people to communicate effectively. So tell us what you're going to be talking about. Yeah, so I'm excited because I'm actually presenting on both tracks. And I, again, I find that so important that that communication with the home piece is so important because, you know, they're not, you don't get a, a handbook when you become a parent about behaviors either. So I'm talking about shocker behaviors on both ends. For the teacher side, I am uh, doing 10 behavior strategies that you can implement tomorrow. So really simple strategies that aren't going to take a lot of prep, a lot of time, a lot of work. They're really powerful moves that you can add to your classroom for those really tough kids. I have a few tips that are really specific for those more challenging students and then some that will benefit your whole class because, you know, that tier one piece is so important. And if you can get more kids to, you know, do what you want by a tier one strategy. It's going to take less time, less effort. You're going to be less frustrated than if you have to do 10 individual little things, right? So that's my teacher track one. And then my parent track one is a caregiver one. It's a a caregiver's guide to uh, common toddler behaviors. And it's toddlers are hard, man. Oh my goodness. Like I, as a behavior specialist, I'm like, I got toddlers. It's going to be a breeze. It is not a breeze. <laughs> I love my toddler dearly, but he gives me a run for my money. So I say to my husband all the time, I'm like, I can't believe that people, you know, who don't have education and behavior have more kids when they get into toddler things. Yeah. So I wanted to give some tips for how to survive that toddler stage and with some proactive, positive things, because that's my whole approach is I want to be proactive about these behaviors, positive and make everyone's life easier when it's positive and if you can avoid the behaviors altogether it's way easier oh good that's what we need 
We need all the proactive strategies (laughs) so that we can set ourselves up for success. And so that we aren't just saying like, take your pacifier and and be quiet or, you know, here's an Oreo, go in the other room or whatever it is. So yes, I totally, totally agree. Uh, And that's exactly what we need. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a wonderful treat. Thanks for having me. I love talking about this stuff. It gets me excited and I just, I love sharing this information. Yay. I can't wait to have you at the conference. Can't wait.